Welcome to another episode of the Victory Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Victory Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry and the impact it has had in our community for over 50 years, visit VictoryBaptistValdosta.com. Now let's listen as Pastor Ward brings today's message from God's Word. Learning there. I'll uh, just kind of open with this. Nehemiah is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, one of, perhaps, my favorite book in the Old Testament. In the years that I've been in, uh, in the pastorate now, over four decades, I've learned a lot from the book of Nehemiah. I would encourage anyone that's uh, leaning toward ministry, whether it be a Sunday school class or the pastor of a church or evangelism or missions, Anything that you're involved in as far as uh, building things are concerned, uh, you need to look at the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah gives us the dictates of his heart when he comes to this emergency situation that he's uh, confronted with in chapter number one. And uh, just to give you a brief moment of background, I don't know if we have time to go there. I have it in my notes to look in chapter number one for a moment, but in case we don't, if you go back and study, you'll see that the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. The gates have been burned. The temple has been destroyed. The houses, the walls, everything have been destroyed. Once by the Babylonians, a little later by the Persians. And, and uh, Nehemiah, and is, um, uh, Ezra has gone. Uh, before the book of Nehemiah, Ezra has gone. And he's uh, surveyed and kind of laid out a plan of what needs to be done as far as getting the walls and, um, and, the, and the nation, uh, for the most part, built back to where they were at one time. And uh, not that he was a failure at it, but he just, God didn't use him to complete the job. Nehemiah comes on the scene. And the chapters of the book of Nehemiah are all about building things. Building things. I want to read a few verses, beginning in verse number 13, if you would with me. Therefore, I set I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, spears, and bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be ye not afraid of them, that is, the adversaries, the enemies. Remember the Lord, which is terrible or great and terrible, and uh, fight for your brethren, for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it came to pass, when our enemies heard that, with, that, with, uh, that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. I have so many things underlined here. And it came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both spears and shields and bows and haberjons, which is like a, a breastplate uh, for fighting. And the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. And they which builded on the wall, and they that bear burdens, with those that laid it every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders 
everyone had his sword girded by his side and so builded, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Now, that's just kind of reading out of the middle of the story just to identify a little bit with what's going on uh, in our chapter number four. And so here's our, here's our thought this morning. Here's our theme. Our text is building while battling. Building while battling. <clears throat> in the, these years that uh, the Lord has allowed me to work in the lives of so many people, I was thinking about it yesterday when I saw uh, Brother Allen's retirement. Uh, after 55 years of ministry, I'm not even near that. I'm at 46 or 47 and I began to think back over the years and how that uh, Pastor Allen had, uh, uh, of course, he led me to the Lord 51 years ago, last Thursday, the 20th, 51 years ago. I was called to preach under him. I studied under him, got my teaching and training, discipleship under him. And I've been pastoring these uh, many, many years. But I think when I think of men like Brother Allen, when I think of them, I think of them in relationship to someone like Nehemiah. They're always building. They're always building. And uh, the reality of it is that here in the book of Nehemiah, they were trying their best to build, but they kept running up against opposition. Opposition, adversaries, difficulties, all of these things. In the book of Nehemiah, the word building is mentioned 24 times. 24 times. In the book of Nehemiah, the word fight is mentioned four times, only four times. That's a six to one ratio. And the reality of it is, in the most part, in my observation, in my life, and in the lives of the people that I'm around, for the most part, it seems like people are spending most of their time in the fight and very little of their time in building. It seems like most people, for the most part, are so engaged in the battle that they never take time to build. And that began to ring bells in my thinking. And I began to think perhaps we're, we're to the place if we're not careful. I'll try to dig into this in just a few moments. But everybody has battles. Everyone in this building, you're going through some kind of a battle. If you're not just exiting a battle, you're just getting ready to enter into a battle. There are all kind of battles that are going on in our lives. And I think one of, the, one of the things that we need to understand that while we're built battling, that we need to be building. The sad thing is that we're not ready for the fight. We're not preparing ourselves for the fight because we're not building a good foundation in our lives. We're not training like a good soldier. We're not getting ready like a good runner. Uh, we're not practicing like a good ball player. We're not ready for the fight. And therefore, the devil just keeps pouring battle after battle after battle after battle, and we'll examine a few of those in just a few moments. But that is the very essence of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah understands the principle that you're going to have trouble. The Bible said a man that's born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. The word problem's never in the Bible, not even one time. But the word trouble is there again and again and again. And in this life, you're going to face troubles. And if the devil can get you in, 
in, um, in this rhythm of always fighting. You're always fighting something. Well, I'll name a few of them in, in just a few moments. You're always there, and um, if you're always fighting, and uh, about the time one battle is finished in your life, the devil's gonna give you another one. He's not gonna give you the time to stop and build upon your most holy faith. Now, Nehemiah comes in, and he realizes this principle is key to the victory. And so he has his people now, to make a long story short, he has his families, his men, the women and their children, while they are fighting the fight, they're also battling the battle. And in one hand, they've got a sword, and in the other hand, they have a trowel. They have in this hand a spear, and in this hand a hammer. And so if you can just kind of, in your imagination, think for just a moment and just picture them as they're building these walls, the walls must be built. The battles must be fought. But if we're going to be successful like they were in the days of Nehemiah, in your family, in our churches, in our nation, we're going to have to learn to fight with one hand and work with the other hand. Now, with that said, let me move on very quickly. In, um, in uh, this uh, story of, um, of uh, Nehemiah. And, and so my, my thought is that, that we're spending more time fighting battles than building futures. I didn't write that in your notes. We're spending more time fighting battles than building futures. Nehemiah was a very interesting character. We don't have time to go there, but we, if we went back to chapter number one, and uh, we probably should, but we'll not do that. But in chapter number one, uh, verses one through three, if you just want to make a note of it and go read it a little bit later, uh, he was a man of great concern. Matter of fact, the Bible uses words like that. When Nehemiah heard that the walls had been destroyed and there was such destruction and devastation throughout the city of Jerusalem and the land of Judah, and uh, when, he, when he heard these terrible reports of, of how the Babylonians had come in and the Persians had come in and they had ultimately destroyed everything the people of God had built, he was very concerned about it. You need to be concerned. If you're a family man this morning, you need to be concerned. If you're a church man and woman this morning, you need to be concerned. If you're an American citizen this morning, you need to be concerned. We can't go on in this passiveness and, and uh, we can't just continue in this uh, apathy that we're in that, you know, we're just kind of rolling with the punches and every once in a while, you know, we're always backing up and we're always on the defense and, and we never take a jab back. We never back the opponents up. The adversary is never defending himself. He's always on the offense in our lives and that's what's happening in our land and in our churches and in our families and in, in our young people and uh, in our vocations and, and, and in our schools and, and everywhere. There's, there's just, there has to be a time that we realize you have to stop and lay a foundation and begin to build. I was the son of a building contractor. And so I know a little bit about building. I know what it is to go out into a, a bare field or a not so bare field and, and go out with your transit and, and, uh, 
and, uh, and, and shoot the level uh, and level the corners and pull the strings and put up the batter boards and start digging with a shovel and dig a foundation. I know what it is when the concrete truck comes and you're there with your shovel or your rake and your, and your wading boots and you're right out in the middle of it and you're pouring concrete and you're dragging concrete and uh, you've got your leveling stakes in the footer and you're, and you're pouring a footer and a foundation. I know a little bit about building. I know what the whole project looks like. But I wish we had that kind of vision for what life looks like that we would make sure, like Nehemiah, that we're people of concern. Nehemiah in verse number four of chapter number one was a man of great compassion, a man of great compassion. Matter of fact, when he heard the story, and oh to God that we had a generation of moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and young people, if we had a generation of people that could once again weep over the conditions of this land and weep over the conditions of the churches and weep over the condition of our children. Nehemiah was a man of great concern. Nehemiah was a man of great compassion. And then finally, well, not finally, but next, I guess, Nehemiah was a man called, who called on God. That's verses 5 through 6. So that's an outline of the first part of the first chapter. I was going there with you, but our time won't allow that this morning. I think it's key to what we're studying, but we must move on. The fourth thing we know about Nehemiah is what I want to talk about for a few moments this morning. Nehemiah was a person of great concern. He was a person of great compassion. He was a man who called on God. And then in these simple terms, Nehemiah was a builder. Nehemiah was into construction. And uh, he made sure, and, and he served a God who is a master builder. Think about that for just a moment. Nehemiah was calling on God who is the master builder. The Bible said in the New Testament that it is God that buildeth all things. God buildeth all things. It's God that built, and we talked about it in the Sunday school hour, how God made the heaven and God made the earth and God poured the mud seals to this old earth and, and how that God erected things and built things and established things and created things. And with his own hands, uh, we see the handiwork that God has accomplished. God's number one, the master builder. Isn't it interesting, I like this, that Jesus was the son of a carpenter. That's why I said what I said at the very onset this morning, that if you're interested in, in doing something, if you're, going to, if you're going to have a family, you need to know a little bit about building. If, if, you're, going to, if, if you're going to have a Sunday school class, you know, a little, need to know a little bit about the principles that are built in the book of Nehemiah. I love the book of Nehemiah. God was a master builder. <coughs> Jesus was a carpenter's son. We are to be builders, builders. Our primary job in this life, if you have a family, if you bring little children into this world, if you're a husband and your wife and you have children and you want to build a family that can glorify God, you better know something about building. And I'm not talking about pouring concrete and driving 16 penny nails and sawing lumber and, and, uh, and hanging uh, trim and 
putting on roof, and I'm not talking about, but I'm talking about there's some principles that are, that are given to us in the book of Nehemiah that we can understand the importance of making sure that while we're fighting these battles, and if you're a young person and if you're a family, you're gonna have some battles. You're gonna go through some difficult times, and there's gonna be times in, in your life that it seemed like the devil is coming at you from every side, and the reason it seemed like that is because he is, and we'll see it in chapter number four coming from every side. But our primary job is to build. We're to be soldiers, for sure. But our primary job is to build. 24 times he mentions building, and just four times he mentions fighting and if you understand anything about the scripture, when God emphasizes something a whole lot, we need to pay a whole lot of attention to it. And when God emphasizes something uh, in smaller segments and numbers, then maybe don't spend as much time with that. Nehemiah was number one, a foundation builder. I like that. He started where you have to start. He's a foundation builder. Every home needs a foundation. Every home needs to be built on Jesus Christ. This rock is Jesus, and he's the one. If you're not building your family, and I'm going too fast this morning, if you're not building your family on Jesus, you are hopelessly building your family. And the wise man built his house upon the rock, and when the rains came and the floods came, the, the house stood. But then the foolish man built his house upon the sand and the same rain and the same storm and the same problems and the same battles and the same fightings, the same thing happened and his house was washed away. It fell. The difference is where your foundation is. The foundation for your home should not be riches. The foundation for your home should not be your 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 uh, the all of the of the things that you can accumulate in in a lifetime. Your house, when you step, your home, your wife and your children and your family, you you the husband and the wife and your children. When you stand before God one day and give an account for your family, and you will, He's not going to ask you how much stuff did you account, uh, accumulate in your lifetime. Uh, how many properties and, and how much stuff? There's not anything wrong with having stuff. We got stuff, obviously. We got more stuff than we need. The measure of the, of the successful family is not how many rooms the house has and how many cars are in the garage, and we got a lot of cars in our garage. The measurement is based on where we are with him, starting with the foundation. Nehemiah was a foundation builder. Number two, Nehemiah was a faith builder, a faith builder. Oh, that we could accomplish that. Number three, Nehemiah was a family builder. You'll see that in the text. When you go home, I hope that if nothing else this morning, I can challenge you, just go home and read the book of Nehemiah. You can probably read it in an hour. Probably read it in about an hour or so. Read it for your devotion tomorrow morning. You'll find out that his interest was in the same place that God had interest, and that's the family. 
And we've lost that in America. We've lost it in America in every respect, all the way to our churches. We have lost the emphasis of building families. Building families. For if you do that, if you build a foundation and you build faith and you build families, you get number four, you build futures. You build futures. I know that it's tough. I know that it's hard. But Nehemiah was, if you don't build a foundation, then all is vain. It's going to be difficult to go any further if you don't have a good solid foundation for your home. You can go through the motions, you can go through the moves, you can do what everybody else is doing. You can, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not minimizing or, or trying to, take away from the importance of hard work and providing for your family. Uh, my wife and I, one of, the, one of the goals that we've had all the way through our lifetime, we only, have the, we only had the two daughters and then we got the, the, my two sons and, uh, that came through our two daughters and uh, my two sons. And, um, and then we had a, and so I raised two daughters and then I raised two sons a little bit later in life. And then we got the four grandchildren, and then we got the, the grandchildren's spouses, and then we have uh, the three great-grandchildren with one on the way. And uh, everything that we have done in our lifetime, in, in these years that we've been, it has been emphasized of doing the best that we can for our family. The ministry is very consuming, but we've, we've tried. We probably haven't done as good a job, we, I guess we'll know. When they all grow up, none of them have grown up yet. <clears throat> 50 years old hadn't grown up yet. I can see two of them on my right, your left. They haven't grown up yet. But they're, they're growing, they're growing. They're maturing. And, uh, but I want to provide for my family. There's not anything wrong with wanting your family to have it better than you had it. Not anything wrong with that. Not anything wrong with that at all. But if that's the only goal that you have in life is to make sure that when you die, you leave your children a lot of money through life insurance and, and all of these things, if that's the only goal that we have. Now, that goal can be, that, that, that's a, a great goal. There's not anything wrong with that goal. But if you miss, if you miss the purpose, he's a future builder. And so we're, Nehemiah is, is building. You know what, you know what and his, his um, motto is not a, uh, a politically based motto. But there's, some, there's something in this, in the life of Nehemiah, and I heard it the other day and I've heard it again, build back better. Now I, I understand, I know where that comes from, it's a catchphrase. It has, it has no meaning to it. It's not going to accomplish anything. You're not going to be any better off for it. It's not going to show up in your checking account or it's not going to show up in your, in your wallet. You're not getting anything out of all the build back better stuff. If you're even thinking that you are, tell me something that you have over the last two years. You tell me something that's better. Hmm? 
Are the gas prices better? Are the milk prices better? Are the egg prices better? You tell me something. Or, you know, what, what's better? And so it's just a catchphrase, you know, and it's just to, to, to garner votes and you know all that kind of stuff. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. My time's almost gone. But Nehemiah really means something when he's emphasizing it. He wants the city and the families and the temple to be better than they ever were. Everything has been destroyed. We're builders. We're to be builders of life and lives, building upon your most holy faith. We're to build families. The, the, the church is responsible to work along with the family. Now, we're not, we're, we're, we're not in charge in that. We're, we're just part of that process. You, you, have, the, you have God and you have the family uh, and the, you have the church, if you can see that triangle. And it works that way. It works that way. It's your responsibility. But, but as much as Nehemiah was concerned about the rubbish that had been left over from the destruction of the Babylonians and the Persians, he was concerned about the conditions of the family. We're to build, we're to build communities. A church needs to be involved in building and building and building, building lives, building families, building community, building church, building men. used to hear a lot about that with our military, you know, about, you know, men, building men. We're to build women. We're to build ladies in our churches. While we're building all of these things, we can be building friendships and fellowships, and, and we're, to, we're to, to build the nation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, as my pastor would say. We're always in the building process. Nehemiah was building while he was battling. Now let me give you these seven things very quickly. We won't even have time to read the verses. What are some lessons we can learn from this chapter? Verses one through four, the adversaries always question our ability. I have to read uh, at least the, the last part of verse number two. It said, look at the question marks. I think there's five of them. He said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? What will they do? Our adversary is always questioning our ability. You're not good enough as a dad. You're not good enough as a husband. You're never good enough as a wife. The children aren't what they need. The devil is always coming at you with a question of what are you going to do? Matter of fact, in the reality, he was questioning their purpose. He was questioning their mission. He was questioning their strength. And if they would sacrifice, he was questioning their stamina. He was questioning their resolve. Everything that would put you would be a put down to you as somebody that's trying to build a family. I can imagine these pastors, I've been there, I know what it is to be working and doing everything that you can do to build a church and it's just kind of, and it's just kind of, and, and the devil's always standing on your shoulder, you go home on a Sunday morning, the devil said, well that was, what in the world was that about? You know, what was all that about? 
What are you going to do now? And that's what he was, just, just make a note of this. You're the adversary, the devil and his demons will always be questioning your ability. Number two, the adversary are extremely persistent. In verses 11 and 12, it's just over and over and over again. In verse number 12, the adversaries come from every direction. Look what he said, and it came to pass that when the Jews, verse number 12, which dwelt by them came, they said unto us, here's their persistent, ten times. You know, if the devil just come one time and go away, or maybe two times, or maybe the third time and just give up. But, he, but ten times they came and said, what are you going to do? What qualifications do you have? How are you going to ever make it? A big put down. But he said in the end of the verse from, look at this, from all places whence ye shall return uh, unto us, they will be upon you. From everywhere and every direction and all places. Let's move on. I'm just talking to you this morning from my heart about building while you're going through these battles. I didn't take time to mention some of the battles. Sometimes it's a financial battle. Sometimes it's a health battle. Sometimes it has to do with morals and especially when you're building families and raising children and and they keep coming back with well everybody's doing it it must be okay if everybody's doing it preacher's kids are doing it may it can't be wrong preacher's kids are there the the adversary is always coming at you again and again and again and again our keys to victory and you need to make notes on this or we can give them to you. Our keys to victory are to pray and to watch. In the New Testament, it's watch and pray. But it's to pray and watch. Verse 21 and verse 22, they were laboring and guarding at the same time. The fifth thing that we learned from chapter number four, our instructions for victory are to build while battling. That's verses 17 and 18. Number six, our helper for victory is he that sounded the trumpet. Now, there's a whole message about this guy with the trumpet. A whole message. The Bible has all kind of instruments in it. It has uh, percussion instruments or cymbals and various kinds of drums and all those kind of things in the scripture. And it has other uh, stringed instruments are mentioned in the scripture. And uh, then there's wind instruments that are mentioned in the scripture and uh, all different kinds of horns. But the most the loudest and the most significant instrument in the Old Testament was this instrument, the trumpet. You know, if you had a full band in here this morning, if you had drums over here and you had clarinets and you had uh, uh, stringed instruments and, and you had cymbals and if you had, everything, if you had this entire area these 30 seats or so, if you had them filled up with people and some of them had cellos and they had everything, if you had all of these instruments and all of them were playing at the same time and somebody could stand over here in the corner with a trumpet and start on that trumpet and you'd hear that trumpet above every sound in. I remember in the lounge band a few years ago, they, had, they would uh, do that when they would play the national anthem and right in the middle of three or 400 instruments and, and bass drums and snare drums and, and all of these things at one time and, and tubas and 
and all of that. In the middle of all that, you'd hear this trumpet, this single trumpet sound out above all those instruments. The trumpet in the Old Testament is a picture of the voice of God. It is the voice of God. Remember what... Mm, I don't have any time. Remember what John said in the book of Revelation, and he said, I was in the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's day, and I, had a, I heard a, verse, a voice that was speaking to me uh, over my shoulder, and it was as the sound of a trumpet. In chapter number four and verse number one, he talks about, and he's getting ready to be called up to heaven, and there was a voice that was talking to him, and it was a trumpet. God uses the trumpet. In the Old Testament, the trumpet had three important things, and that's why this is so important. Our helper for the victory is he that sounded the trumpet. The trumpet had three significant sounds. The Apostle Paul even mentioned it in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's in 12, 13, or 14, when it's talking about this matter of uh, the unknown tongue and speaking in tongues and all those kind of things. And in the middle of all, you don't know anything about tongues if you don't know something about 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You don't have a clue. But in the middle of all that, he said, what if the, he said that if the trumpet were to make an uncertain sound, that nobody could understand what it was. He emphasizes the danger involved in that. Now, with that aside, don't, don't be offended at me, okay? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. In the middle, and, and so the trumpet had, number one, I don't have time to give you all the verses on this, but the Hey, by the way, remember what, the, what he said to the prophets? He said, sound the trumpet in Zion. You know what preaching is like? It's like the sounding of a trumpet. That's why we just keep on preaching. If the babies are crying, we just keep on preaching. It should, we ought to be the loudest voice in the house. And, uh, you know, whatever's going on, the, the, it is the loudest of the voices. He, he said to the, to the Old Testament prophets something like this. Sound the trumpet in Zion. Show my people their sins and the house of Israel their iniquities. You know what a preacher's supposed to do? He's supposed to preach against sin. Preach against sin. One of the things we ought to preach on. And so the trumpet had these, these three meanings. There was a certain sound, and I don't know what it was, but the trumpet would sound for these three things. Number one, to call the people to work. If you'd hear a certain sound of the trumpet, you know what reveille means, you know what those different sounds of, of the trumpet is. Um, you've heard them at funerals and, and so on, at taps. You, you've heard all these different, and you know what it means. The children of Israel, when they would hear the trumpet sound, they would look and say, it's time to go to work. They'd hear a different sound of the trumpet, Brother Wilbur, and they would listen to that sound. You see, they didn't have cell phones. And so the only way they could communicate with the whole community was to sound the trumpet. And it was loud enough that everybody could hear throughout the camp. Sometimes it was to call them to work. Other times it was to call them to worship. It's the Sabbath. It's time to go worship. I love to hear church bells ringing when you go through the city. Sometimes you'll hear them ringing. At the church out near the college. Uh, we, were right, we were riding right by it the other day, and all of a sudden it went, boom, and I about jumped out of the car. 
And the third sound for the trumpet, very distinctive. Unlike the one to go to work, unlike the one to go work, uh, to worship, it's the one to go to war. It's time to go to war. There's a time to battle, and there's a time to build. Be sure that you're building while you're battling. The summary is this, verses 2 and 3, don't be distracted by others. Your task, don't be distracted by others. What other families are doing, what other churches are doing, what other communities are doing, what other schools are doing. Don't be distracted by others. Number two, don't fail to pray and watch as Tracy comes to the piano. Number three in our summary, don't be overwhelmed by the size of the work. It's hard to raise a family this day and hour. It's hard to have a home and to pay taxes, and, and it's hard to meet up with all the obligations and feed your... Don't be overwhelmed by the size, the task that we face. Number four in our summary, verse 18, don't misplace your sword. They knew right where it was. They had it right by their side. Don't get too far away from the sword. There's meaning to all this, and it's too big a message for 30 minutes, that's for sure. Number five, don't forget God is on our side. The last words in verse number 20, our God, listen now, shall fight for us. David said when he went against Goliath, the battle is the Lord's. Nehemiah, a man who encouraged the people to Sure, build. You're going to battle. There's going to be opposition. But the way to win the battle is to keep on building. Never stop spreading the mortar. Always keep building. Oh, I'm too busy. I'm too, well, that's, that's where failure comes in. When we're too busy to do it God's way or are too overwhelmed, you know, and, and, and um, just to take the instruction from God's word. Just go back and build while you're battling. Would you stand with us for prayer? I don't know what this is meant for anyone. I guess it helps me. You need to come to the altar for whatever reason. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ as your Savior. We, Love to take a Bible in hand and show you how you can be saved. 